Good morning. You've noticed that all of our elementary friends are with us this morning. This is the culmination of our dig weekend. We've been digging deeper into God's word all weekend. Our event started Friday evening and continued through yesterday, and we're finishing up with all of you this morning. So thanks for being here with us. But we've been digging deeper into the Old Testament this weekend, hearing stories that were very familiar to many of the kids, but we've been thinking about them in a new and different way and focusing on what God had to say specifically to us. So I'd like to give you a little bit of a recap so kids listen up and you can help us. On Friday evening, we heard the story of... I heard somebody say it. The story of... You got it. Noah. So this was a familiar story to most of the kids, but we focused on how God invited Noah to be a part of his plan to rescue his creation. We heard how God rescued Noah from the destruction of the flood, but we also considered how through Jesus, God rescues us. And through Jesus, God rescues and frees us from sin. So our main point for Friday evening was that Jesus is God's plan to rescue us from sin. Yesterday morning, we moved on to the story of, kids, do you remember? Abraham, you got it. Now, God promised to give Abraham and Sarah a son, which seemed impossible, but God promised that he would bless Abraham and his family and that his descendants would go on to number more than the stars. And through Abraham's family, God fulfilled the promise to send a Savior, the promised Messiah. So we heard that Jesus is the Savior God promised. And then yesterday afternoon, we moved on to the Old Testament story of Joseph. A lot of our kids were familiar with the beginning of Joseph's life and how it started off pretty great with his colorful coat, and he had favor with his father. But it took a terrible twist when his jealous brothers threw Joseph into a pit. And then he was sold off and ended up in Egypt with all kinds of terrible circumstances in his life. But God was always at work, working through those circumstances and all of those situations. And he redeemed Joseph's life, working in and through the things that were happening to him. And he even restored Joseph's relationship with his family. So God redeemed Joseph's life, but God sent Jesus as our Redeemer. And through Jesus, we can trade our self-life for new life found in him. He is our redeemer. So Jesus is the giver of new life. This morning, we heard Pastor Janice share with us the story of the fiery furnace. Now, this story is found in the book of Daniel. So kids, I know you have Bibles in your bags that you can pull out and open up to the book of Daniel. And the rest of you can open there as well. So I don't know about you, but this story always drew me in as a child. It's kind of an angry king, a fight. But I'd like to give you a little bit of background that was happening at that time. But about 500 years before Christ, the Babylonians had conquered Jerusalem. So they exiled or transported a large portion of the Jewish population away to Babylon. They sought to enculturate them into Babylon society and to make them loyal to Babylon. So because the city of Jerusalem and the temple there had been destroyed, God's people and their identity were really being challenged. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were three of these Jews who had been exiled to Babylon, along with Daniel. 
They had been given new Babylonian names, and they were being trained to enter into service for the Babylonian king. Where our story picks up, they had become important officials in the Babylonian government, even though they had been foreigners. So the first half of the book of Daniel are these stories from this foreign land of Babylon, where many of God's people suddenly found themselves. In the midst of a foreign culture, with pagan religions, struggling to remain faithful to God. And yet God empowering them to do so. So this is where the story of the fiery furnace comes in, with these three Jewish men who have been placed in these high positions in a foreign government, yet discovering that this government is not friendly to their faithfulness to God. So although this might be a captivating and interesting story for us to read, I'd like for us to consider this morning, what does the fiery furnace have to do with us? Because I don't know about you, but I've never been threatened to be thrown into a fiery furnace, especially not for bowing down to some ginormous statue made of gold. But in this story, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing firm in their faith and in the worship of the one true God. And we need to keep in mind that in the ancient world, in Babylon and surrounding cultures, Everyone believed in gods, not just God, but in gods. So the question was how many gods a person might believe in, and then of all of those gods, to which ones would the community devote its worship to? So we don't know a whole lot about the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had built. It might have been a statue of himself. It might have been a statue of another one of their pagan gods. But it is clear that all were expected to bow and worship it. And this included God's people, and it included Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So it wasn't really a strange thing that there was a new statue or a new god to worship. But really, what was strange or what was countercultural was that the three friends and God's people would only worship one god, Yahweh, the true God. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were faithful, even when they were facing the threat of this furnace. They knew that God had commanded them to only worship him. So I'd like for us to read from Daniel chapter 3, starting at verse 16, and you can follow along if you'd like. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So these three men didn't know if they would be spared, but they were confident that God could save them, and they trusted him regardless of what the outcome was going to be. Now, does this surprise you at all? It surprises me a little bit. It's very countercultural, this decision that they made. And if I were faced with a fiery furnace, what would I do? Where would I place my trust? What would you do? But I'd like for us to think about how we all face fiery furnaces. Now, not literally, but we all do face challenges and we face temptations and struggles because for most of us, life is not easy, is it? 
And there's no guarantee that when we put our trust in God that we're going to just receive all of the good things in life or what we think are going to be the good things. And sometimes it can feel like quite the opposite of that. And we know as God's people that we are blessed, aren't we? But we misunderstand if, if, if we think that this blessing just means a problem-free or a carefree kind of life. But our problems or our struggles do not need to consume us, just as the flames did not consume Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So what is God saying to us through this account? What does this text say about God? What does it say to us? Well, I think we can clearly see that in Daniel 3, the three friends understood that God is trustworthy. God can be trusted, always. These men chose to trust God in the midst of their struggle, and they demonstrate for us how we can trust God, even in the midst of our struggles and our challenges. So the story tells us that when Nebuchadnezzar looked into the furnace, he did not see just the three friends, he saw a fourth figure in the midst of that fire because God's presence was with these men. They had chosen to be faithful to the God who had been faithful to them, the God who had been with his people time and time again. Now, the Israelites had been exiled to Babylon in part because they had not remained faithful to God. Yet God was at work through all of these situations and these circumstances, as he always is, drawing his people and drawing his creation back to himself and showing them that life is truly and fully lived in relationship with him. So the Israelites needed to be reminded again that God is our source of deliverance and provision. And I think this is a timely reminder for us this morning as well. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trusted God, and they remembered him as their source of deliverance and provision, no matter what the outcome was going to be. And they trusted him to provide what was needed, whether or not things worked out the way that they wanted them to. And I think I can guarantee they did not want to be thrown into that fire. And we're all faced with challenges with different situations, sometimes they feel like a fire that's going to consume us. We don't know how things are going to turn out or what's going to happen. But where do we turn? Do we try to manipulate the situation with our own schemes or our own power plays? Do we try to just numb the situation out? Do you give up hope? Because sometimes it feels easier to try to control the situation or work it out for ourselves or to just worry or fret about it, rather than releasing it into the hands of the one who is our deliverer and our provider, the one who we see was faithful throughout scripture and is still faithful to us today. I'd like to share a quote with you from Henry Nowen. This is from his book, Here and Now, and he writes, when I trust deeply that today God is truly with me, and holds me safe in a divine embrace, guiding every one of my steps, I can let go of my anxious need to know how tomorrow will look or what will happen next month or next year. I can be fully where I am and pay attention to the many signs of God's love within me and around me. 
Have you ever thought, I think that's a pretty powerful, and the ways that he's been are, and in our forgetfulness, we turn to other people or other things, grasping at them, trying to get them to deliver for us or give us whatever it is that we need, rather than trusting in the God who has promised that he will be with us always. And God is with us. God is not just in some far-off place or in heaven or up on a mountaintop waiting for us to come to him. He's certainly not a statue built by human hands like this gold statue we read about from Nebuchadnezzar. But rather, our God is a God who pursues us. He draws us to himself through his grace and his mercy and his love. And then he accompanies us on our journeys. He walks with us. He is with us. And we see this throughout Scripture. In Genesis, we read about the Spirit hovering over the water before creation. Throughout the Old Testament, God's presence was with his people. He followed, or led the Israelites, and they followed him by a pillar of cloud by day, fire by night. His presence was in the tabernacle. It was in the temple. And then in the New Testament, we read about Jesus literally coming in the flesh to be with his people and in his creation. And before Jesus went back to heaven, he promised that he would be with us always through the power of the Holy Spirit. So he has always been present, and we can be confident that he is with us today. And God desires to be in and with his creation. So just as the presence of God was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God is with us. As believers, God's presence is within us. Now, at Pentecost, God sent the Holy Spirit to dwell with his people, to dwell in his people, to change them from the inside out. So I have a visual to help us with this idea. I don't know if any of you are tea drinkers, but I enjoy a cup of tea in the afternoon, and my husband and my kids got me this kind of fancy little teapot. I don't know a whole lot about tea, but I do know if you steep the tea leaves directly in the water, it turns out a little better than just the little tea bags that you can get at the store. So I'd like for us to think about the teapot and the water as being us, our inner self, who, who you are. And then when you trust Christ, he fills you with the Holy Spirit. So that's what this is going to represent. So when we trust Christ, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. So just as the tea leaves are going into the water there, you can watch it for a little bit, but the tea will start to steep in the water. And as it does that, the tea is going to infuse with the water. The two become one. And once that happens, we can't pull the tea back out of the water, but they are together. And this is what happens when we're filled with the Spirit. God makes us one with himself. So when we become followers of Christ, his Spirit dwells within us empowering us to live as his followers and as his presence in the world. But this involves complete surrender on our part, doesn't it? God won't force himself in, but it's an emptying of ourselves as we exchange our life for the life of Christ within us. And this is our new identity in him. The old has gone and the new has come. In John chapter 17, Jesus said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. So just as we see the tea starting to infuse with the water, it can't be separated from the water anymore. We are made one with Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us, and he is with us. And because God is with us, we can live a transformed life. Now, we've been talking over the last month or so about what it looks like to live as resurrection people, as followers of Christ. And it's through the power of Christ that we are changed from the inside out. It is Christ who empowers us to live in a way that looks very different from those who, li who live around us. Because it's very countercultural to trust someone outside of yourself, isn't it? But this is what we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego doing. Their lives looked very different from the Babylonians who were around them. The Babylonians were very quick to bow down to the statue or to engage in anything else that was contrary to the character of God in the culture. Their lives stood out. But just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, our lives should stand out through the choices that we make and through the trust that we display in good times and in challenging times. And we can only do this because of God. It's through him. He addresses our brokenness. He's the one who calls us to wholeness in him. And he is the agent of transformation. He changes us on the inside to be more like him. And he empowers us to trust and rest in him. So those around us should see this marked difference. We live differently, don't we? I'd like to share with you from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And these are verses that you've likely heard, but I'm going to read them from a paraphrased version of scripture called The Message. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So are you keeping company today with the one whose yoke is easy and his burden is light? Now, as we've already mentioned, that doesn't mean that life is always going to be easy for us, right? Rather, it means that we can place our struggles, our burdens, our heavy loads into his hands, trusting him with it all, despite the outcome. And the Spirit will empower us to live this life of complete trust as we allow him to do his work of change in and through us. And this has to be a moment-by-moment -moment choice for us, a choice of trust, to either trust in ourselves or to trust in the God of the universe who sees you and knows you. As the psalmist writes, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. So let this be your decision today. 
So maybe you're facing something that feels really big, something that feels like a big fire that wants to consume you. And maybe you need to trust it to our graciously providing God. Maybe it's a dwindling bank account. Could be job troubles, relationship problems, health concerns, cancer treatments. Maybe you're grieving a loss, the loss of a person or some kind of dream that just didn't pan out the way you thought it would. Or maybe there's something new that God wants to do in your life, a new way that he's revealing himself to you and he wants to change you a little bit, and it's hard. It's hard to in your fire place your trust in him so you can place whatever situation it is into his loving hands and release it to him because he is with you. He is your deliverer and your provider, and he is faithful. He is with you. And he is with us. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, we thank you that you are with us always. You've reminded us this morning that you are our deliverer, you're our provider, and that you are always faithful. You keep your promises to us. Father, I pray that you would help us. Give us what we need to trust and rest in you, placing whatever circumstances we need to into your loving and gracious hands. And Father, we just place ourselves into your hands that you might change us to become an image of you. And we love you, Jesus. In your name, amen.